صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another show. We'll be talking all things annexation today, and we'll be joined by a very special guest. But first, let's hear from the wonderful Noura Arakat, who toured Australia recently. As you know, she's a Palestinian-American legal scholar and human rights attorney. She's an activist and writer, as well as a specialist in national security. Noura Arakat. Israel is using this moment to further entrench its unrelenting settler colonization of Palestine. Here are the top three things you should know. Number one. But why now? Annexation has emerged as a top priority of Israel's government, which is eager to take advantage of President Trump's green light with his deal of the century announced in January. My vision presents a win-win opportunity for both sides. This deal, better known as the steel of the century and the apartheid plan, combines Israel's past five decades of land theft. The United States will recognize Israeli sovereignty over the territory that my vision provides to be part of the state of Israel. It contains Palestinians within fragmented territories that signals the death of a viable Palestinian state. Taking land by force is a war crime, but the Trump administration says it's Israel's legal right. Mike Pompeo, U.S. Secretary of State. For the uh, annexation of the West Bank, uh, the Israelis will ultimately make those decisions. Those, that's an Israeli decision. What's happening now is the result of decades of harmful U.S. Mideast policy. Trump and Netanyahu are planning to enact de jure, or official annexation. But in reality, this land theft is already in place through de facto annexation. Number two, how is America involved? The United States has been Israel's biggest supporter since 1967 and enabled Israel to expand its occupation before our very eyes. Since the 1967 war, when Israel occupied the Sinai Peninsula, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip, every U.S. administration has insisted that settlements are contrary to international law and counterproductive to peace. But in reality, each one has provided Israel with unequivocal financial, diplomatic, and military support, enabling it to expand and entrench its sprawling settler colonial enterprise. The United States has also single-handedly provided diplomatic immunity for Israel and the international community. The U.S. has used its Security Council veto 43 times between 1967 and 2017 to shield Israel from accountability. As the self-appointed sole broker for peace, the U.S. has only furthered Israel's expansionist interests. As put by Aaron David Miller, who served six U.S. secretaries of state on Arab-Israeli negotiations, the U.S. has operated, quote, more like Israel's attorney at the expense of peace negotiations. Number three, what's going on with this land? 
The boundaries Trump and Netanyahu drew on their map reflect the territorial reality that was ushered in by the so-called peace process, leaving Palestinians only a fraction of their lands. Israel seeks to annex 60% of West Bank territory, which is known as Area C, a jurisdictional category invented by the peace process in 1995. Area C contains the majority of the West Bank's natural resources, like water, like farmlands, like Dead Sea minerals. And those resources could help Palestinians generate up to $3.4 billion for their national economy, according to the World Bank. Since 1995, and under the cover of peacemaking, Israel has steadily removed Palestinians from Area C and concentrated them into areas A and B in order to expand Israeli settlements and place Israeli civilian settlers in their place. According to the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Palestinians now have access to less than 1% of Area C lands. They do not need charity, they need freedom. To be concerned about this is understandable, but we should be honest about how we got here. Now is the time to reckon with American responsibility. Formal annexation is the obvious result of decades of unequivocal support for Israeli policies, de facto annexation of Palestinian lands, and Israel's ongoing, separate, and unequal apartheid regime. Palestinians have been shouting from the rooftops that as non-sovereigns of their own state and non-citizens of Israel, they are subjected to perpetual Israeli domination. And it's happening before us in real time. At a minimum, the $3.8 billion we provide to Israel every year must be conditioned and ultimately ended. And as the public, we cannot sit idly by and say nothing. The amazing and irrepressible Noura Arakat. Good morning, Rob. How are you doing? Nasa, I am very, very well. Good morning to the listeners. And what have we got on this morning, Nessa? We're very excited to be joined uh, by Mel, who was on earlier on this year, Mel from Badil. And Mel's going to tell us about Free Palestine Melbourne and their upcoming event forum on Wednesday, July 22 at 7.30, called The Palestinian Struggle in the Era of Annexation. Good morning, Mel. Hi, guys. How are you going? Hi, Mel. Welcome. Really Thank well. We're, we're honoured to have you back on. You're our first two-time guest for 2020. Come Sorry, on. That feels strange. You have to, we'll organise a plaque <laughs> for you. This is, this is really fantastic. I don't know what I've done to deserve that honour, but um, I'm glad to be here. Well, you're a goodie, Mel. We love you. <laughs> now, Mel, tell us about this event. Um, yeah, so uh, we've got, I hope your listeners probably know our, our new group, um, Free Palestine Melbourne. We've been around for six months. Um, we were hoping this would be our very first in-person event that we were holding on Palestine, um, bringing together some excellent speakers to talk about the hot topic of annexation. Uh, but obviously with everything going on in Victoria, we've been forced to do this um, event online, but that means that we can have more people involved and coming to join us for what I hope will be a really interesting discussion. Uh, and also it means that we're gonna have speakers from Palestine, so a little bit more dynamic in terms of who we can have at the table, um, more well-rounded perspective on everything that's going on with the discourse on annexation. So, yeah, it's going to be online next Wednesday at 7.30pm and 
conference. So it'll be an interesting discussion for about an hour and a half. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Now, can Alice, can you just tell us where we can join in? Uh, sorry, Nasa, just can you just give us the uh, website that we can jump on and watch it next week? Yep, so we've got an event on our Facebook page um, that's all created there if you want to get the reminders and that sort of thing. Or um, so our Facebook page is Free Palestine Melbourne. Um, or you can jump on our website, um, which is www.fpmelbourne, or one word, .org. Uh, and if you go to our events tab that's there, um, you can register for the event there. You'll get sent a Zoom link um, and we'll see you on Wednesday night on Zoom. So nice and easy. Easy. Really easy. And, and Rob and I will be there, so we'll look forward to joining you, Mel. Now, excitingly, you've got Hanan Ashawi, a former Sydney Peace Prize winner, uh, Dr. Hanan Ashawi. You've got Dr. Yara Harawi, who she was in Australia uh, late last year. She is a phenomenal person. I can't wait to hear she from is her again. Yep. Oh, I know. She, she's great. And proof positive between the two of them just how, how powerful our Palestinian women are. And local uh, Palestinian Meher Maghribi. So um, our listeners will be very familiar with Meher. He did the uh, joint AJDS, APAN anti-Semitism statement forum with myself. So it's going to be fantastic. Now tell us about annexation, Mel, because I know you were on the ground in Palestine last year and you did some work around annexation. Gosh, annexation, um, the big word that everyone's talking about suddenly. Um, yeah, I, I was on the ground working with the deal and one of the big pieces of research we were working on as an organisation for a three-year period was to, to, to understand the phenomenon of annexation, which, you know, I think most Palestinians would know is nothing new. Yes, it's the hot topic right now, but annexation has been happening really since the beginning, 1948, uh, and then particularly from 67 onwards. Um, so, yeah, we were doing a, a research on the ground, trying to understand the phenomenon, try and get the evidence to show to people that um, annexation is a very real process. So, um, and, and part of the reason for doing that research um, was back then, about 12 months ago, it was starting to come onto the political radar um, internationally, but but only ever so slightly, whereas what most people on the ground knew was... Um, that it was a very serious discussion all through the last Knesset. So, you know, before the last 12 months of craziness in Israeli politics, the Knesset that sat before that, there were something like 25 plus pieces of uh, legislation introduced into the Knesset seeking to formally um, annex the West Bank or parts of the West Bank, uh, which is something no one seems to talk about. Um, and they were only put on hold because Netanyahu pulled political strings to say now's not quite the time to formally do this. But um, what we were also noticing was um, there was a discourse starting to happen around de facto annexation, um, but we thought there was something more than de facto annexation that was already happening. Um, so I don't know whether your listeners know the difference between those two things. So you've got, on the one hand, you've got de facto uh, annexation, which means in fact. So Israel has been since 1948 and really in earnest since 1967, instilling facts on the ground that assert Israeli sovereignty over Palestinian land. Um, mm -hmm. And then you, that, that's been evolving into a process of what's called de jure annexation, um, which is annexation in law. Um, at law and policy, um, uh, and that process, we believe, and we were trying to prove through this research we were doing, was also happening, um, and that this discourse that's happening right now around annexation is really just the final rubber stamp on a process. Um, 
And so really to talk about the annexation coming to fruition is a bit of a misnomer. Um, that, uh, yeah, we sought to um, produce in our, in our research. Um, can, I, can I just ask you a question there? Hmm. You did say that everyone's starting to talk about this annexation and it does seem to be that people are actually taking this one seriously. What's the difference? Why, why are people like, uh, you know, the different countries saying this is a, an, an act of war if you do this? What, well, because I think Netanyahu, well, first of all, the US position has become much clearer, although I think if we're understanding what's just happened in the last few weeks, uh, the US has kind of pulled back a little bit um, in yep. the support for it. But what really happened was the, the, the so-called deal of the century, Trump's peace plan, came out and that was kind of the green light that Netanyahu needed to go ahead and, and, and do this formal annexation. Uh, but I, th I think, so it's more, it's a public facing um, rhetoric that changed, but the reality on the ground um, is annexation in terms of the facts, in terms of Israel's policy, that is advancing whether or not um, the green light comes from America. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we know that from, from 1967, in fact, even from 48, but from 1967, whether it was East Jerusalem or the Golan, there's been complete land grabs. And then between the cleansing of that land and the de denial of building permits for Palestinians and mm -hmm. closed military zones and um, wherever they build a settlement on stolen Palestinian land, they'll clear the area around annexation is an ongoing creeping thing in the sense that Palestinians are denied right to bits of their own dirt. It might not represent itself on a map just yet, but it's de facto annexation and continual ethnic cleansing. Are you hearing anything out of, um, out of Palestine as to what the feeling is now? Because the government that was created um, most recently between Gantz and Netanyahu was, you know, two pronged. We've got to deal with COVID and we've got to deal with annexation. COVID's out of control and Trump said, hold on a second on the annexation. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, I feel like you might be able to um, talk to that as well yourself, NASA. Um, what am I hearing? I mean, I, I know that I was hearing a lot of fear. People, there was genuine anxiety from people on the ground about what, what this really was all going to mean because um, there is quite a difference on the ground for people like we're talking international law around um, what's happening now makes no difference, whether it's de facto, whether it's de jure annexation, it's all illegal under international law. So this is just a continuation of the status quo, which is already illegal. But it does actually mean something very different on the ground for people in terms of whether it's de facto or de jure annexation under Israeli domestic law. And okay, there's, you know, human rights defenders and advocates and lawyers don't want to recognise the application of Israeli domestic law to the West Bank, but that makes a very real difference in the day-to-day -day lives of Palestinians living under the regime. Um, instead of dealing with the military regime, they're suddenly in courts that don't have to recognise international law. And an actual fact, that's a reality already. So when yeah. we talk about um, de facto versus de jure annexation, one of the key changes that happened um, in the last few years was that Palestinians wanting to challenge the land grabs, wanting to challenge the demolition orders on their homes and that sort of thing, 
always went straight into the Israeli High Court to challenge that. And now the jurisdiction's been removed from the High Court down into the lower administrative courts of Jerusalem, which adds another layer of expensive, incredibly expensive bureaucracy for Palestinians to challenge these decisions. Um, and also those courts have no obligation now to apply international law. You know, we can have an argument over whether mm. the High Court ever applied international law correctly anyway. But yeah. there is a significant difference and people are fearful of what that reality means. And there's also been documented evidence of escalations of home demolitions and land grabs are ongoing. So I think there's a real fear on a day-to-day level of what this could possibly mean. I mean, the reality, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the outside, you know, we're, we're blessed to live in Australia and Melbourne in particular. I'm, I'm on Israel's an apartheid state. 50% of the population of historic Palestine doesn't get to vote. There's only one entity that controls the currency, the birth and death registry, radio spectrum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's one state now, annex or not annex. Let's just move to a democratic, secular state, one person, one vote. And the faster we let them annex everything, the better. What do you think? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure it's my place to have um, a full opinion on that. Um, now, you're an honorary pillow, man. <laughs> love, your, love your opinion. I, I feel a little, uh, a little conflicted and I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on it because I know there's a pushback on the, the equity discourse versus a liberation discourse. I personally believe very much in decolonisation. I believe in it in Australia, I think. Um, we have to decolonize in Australia. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I, I worry that an equity discourse, one equal democratic secular state might, unless it also includes that kind of decolonization discourse, it still isn't the answer, right? Because there's so much, I mean, you only have to look at South Africa. You only have to look at um, our First Nations brothers and sisters here um, to know that the equality, the inequality can continue. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm torn. I don't know that I have a, a full position on this, but I do think internationally we miss it. A lot of people are missing some of the discourse and, you know, our polit- particularly in Australia, our politicians, and I hope some of our panel can talk to this on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, our politicians and this insistent on, insistence on a two-state solution is just, I mean, I'm at a point that I think it's a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. It, it, it is a joke. I mean, the the argument is today we're living in one state. Palestinians are living in one Absolutely. state. Absolutely. And it's an apartheid state. Absolutely. And so the question only becomes, you know, from, from my perspective, and, and certainly a lot of the Palestinians I know in diaspora, but also my family in Palestine, like, mm. call me whatever you want. Just let my kid go to school. You know, stop shooting us. Yeah, 100%. And that's not, I mean... That's the most reasonable thing someone can ask, isn't it? Like, no. how is that such an absurd request? Well, it cries to like humanity. And, when, and polling numbers out of the states, when people are asked, you know, one state or two states, today, it's, uh, if you take out, you know, crazy right-wing Republicans, the numbers are very close. But then when you say two states where Palestine doesn't have A, B, C, D, E, which are all the things that make you a state, i.e. borders and control of your own airspace, et cetera, or B, one state where everybody votes and has uh, uh, equality under law. The numbers, this is in the United States, are overwhelmingly one state. And so when you strip all the, the Zionists speak around the question, it becomes really, really simple. And let's, when we spoke before we went on air, Mel, about Peter Beinart, who's Zionist royalty. I mean, this guy, you know, he's a lecturer in the UNY in New York. He's 
practicing and observant Jew. His parents are well-bred. He's, you know, out of South Africa, so he's seen apartheid for real. He wrote something like a 7,000-word um, article saying, can't be two states anymore. I've seen the light, you know. Um, as a Jew, we've got to start thinking about equality. He still comes from it from a Zionist perspective, but, you know, he's really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons there in, in the United States. Yeah, I've seen a bit of that, that discourse, and I, read, I did read his essay. Um, I mean, I, I tend to be someone that gets a little frustrated at how much we um, centre Zionist voices in this. Um, oh, we needed a white guy to come and save us. <laughs> Partly. Don't worry, the Palestinians and Palestinian men and women have been saying so for a hundred years. Absolutely. Now that a, now that a, now that a proper white guy said so. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I mean, what I will say is a counter to that is the three amazing Palestinian women who wrote articles in the Australian media this past what two weeks now. Um, I mean, the article, the three articles from Dr. Summer Sabawi from. Um, Tasnim Mahmoud Samak and from Randa Abdul Fattah, they blew me away. I mean, it just makes me go, why can't these articles and these voices get traction? They just make so much sense. Um, yeah. And yet, yes. Um, but we should also mention, Mal, aside from Randa, Tasnim and Samak, three PhDs and wonderful Palestinian women, that they couldn't get their voices heard in mainstream media. I know. I know. You know so, so I, I know how hard Samah worked to get a piece on religion and ethics on the ABC. I mean, it's not really mainstream ABC. And Runda put together a public statement and got something like 800 uh, academics and artists across Australia to co-sign this statement saying, you're denying us a voice. We yep. want um, Australia to condemn annexation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they couldn't get a piece published on the statement anywhere and they got obfuscation and you know got no space got no time it's mm -hmm. not my remit etc to the point where they had to run a go fund me a fundraiser to raise mm. money it's actually if you pick up today's age or sydney morning herald at saturdays they've got half a they've had to pay for a half page ad they've had to pay to put pal palestinian voices into mainstream media i mean it just beggars belief it, it, it really does. Um, and yeah, they, they are three phenomenal people. And, and yeah, and, and those articles were, were absolutely on point. And so it, it's a bit disheartening to see, I guess it's better late than never, never that uh, Peter comes to the table and he can pull along all these people. But yeah, I see some of my role and other, other allies supporting this is to try and push and create the space in the other direction so these voices can also be heard. I mean, but I mean. That's important, very, very important that that happens. Yeah, and that's a little bit why with this panel, uh, we went a little bit back and forth, but we decided with this panel, it was really important to have three Palestinian voices to speak on this panel because everyone seems to be talking about annexation and, and so much of the focus then comes on to what do Israelis think? What do Zionists think? What do, what do the Jewish diaspora think about this? What does this mean for, for Israeli citizens? And you just go, this is going to mean next to nothing for Israeli citizens, really, in terms of a day-to-day -day reality. It doesn't change anything. Well, they're losing um, nothing, are they? Absolutely nothing. But it means a huge amount. to like We, we, we can have arguments as we have um, on, on how much it really means but on a day-to-day -day, it really does mean something and so it's it's really frustrating that 
yeah, Palestinian voices aren't heard and aren't even thought of in terms of relevant to this discourse. So that's, that's a little bit why we decided to really focus this event next week um, on getting three really important mixed voices. So we've got um, Dr. Hanan Ashrawi, who's got the, the, the PLO perspective, that, that leadership perspective. Then we've got um, Dr. Yara Hawari, and we're hoping she brings both the academic and the real She's a real thinker, but she's also an activist and a grassroots activist. So she's going to bring some of those voices to the fore. And then you've got Maher um, with the Australian diaspora kind of perspective. So we tried to get a really well-rounded group of people. Um, and and we, we were going to do a bit of a, uh, a back and forth, a presentation style event. And we decided, actually, no, why don't we have a round table? Let's mm. just throw questions out. Um, so we're going to... We've, Got a, our group is working on a, a series of questions that we're going to put to the panel. And then we're going to throw it out to the audience to really try and pull in um, a, a vibrant discussion of this issue and, and try to put Palestinian voices front and centre of this discussion. Fantastic. Now, for our listeners, they can go to fpmelbourne.org or the Free Palestine Melbourne Facebook page to register. Registration's for free. And how about if they wanted to join FP Melbourne? Um, we welcome members all the time. We're always wanting people to help us get involved, bring whatever they want to bring to the table. We meet once a month at the moment. It's, it's still on Zoom. Uh, so it's the second Saturday of the month that we meet from 2 to 4 p.m. Um, and we have, we have a group that organises behind the scenes so there's communication throughout the month. But... Anyone is welcome to turn up at that meeting. If you want to get the Zoom link uh, while we're meeting on Zoom, you just have to contact us through our page or our website. We'll send you the link and you're welcome to join us. Um, and when we're finally able to meet back in person, um, we meet at the, I'm going to forget the name for a second, the Kathleen Syme Library in um, Melbourne. But the details are on our both pages, our website and our Facebook page. Fantastic. We've only got a couple of minutes to go, Mel. Last time we spoke, you were thinking about maybe going back. Obviously, COVID, <laughs> COVID means there's a great big hand, handbrake on that. Um, what's been keeping you busy in Melbourne? What's been keeping me busy in Melbourne? Not a whole lot. I've been uh, fairly quiet. Um, unfortunately, I decided to take a break from my job. Um, I was working for Badil. And then COVID hit. <laughs> And so I've been yeah, a little good bit timing. <laughs> Very good timing, but I'm kind of enjoying the excuse not to have too much of a, um, too much to do. So I've been keeping busy. I run the Free Palestine Melbourne Facebook page. Um, been doing a little bit of writing, just trying to, I guess, recover from the the, the loss of my husband. Really, um, yeah. my plan had yeah. been to go back to to Palestine, but obviously, I don't think that's going to happen this year. And the situation there is getting quite worrisome i think yeah. i just actually saw an email go around which maybe we can also plug to your listeners to get onto our facebook page um it's trying to raise money uh for ventilators for palestine so we'll be promoting that in the next couple of days and if people um have have any kind of spare cash lying around if they yeah. can um, donate to that cause because as last i read all the ventilators are currently being used in palestine so that's a little bit Scary. Oh, it's and very if scary. People can't help; they can pass it on to other people and ask. At least Absolutely. The sharing is doing it. You know, trying to get some traction so someone else can see it. Absolutely. 
Look, it's um, it's very scary. We know how infectious uh, mm. it is, particularly because the Palestinians tend to live in very close proximity to each other, yeah. aside from the yeah. fact that we're very, very huggy and kissy, um, <laughs> <laughs> which makes the transmission, you know, much easier. Um, okay. The reality is we've got no access to the outside world. Our hospitals are third world access to equipment and, and technology is denied by the occupation you know, our economy is, is throttled because of the Israeli occupation and the apartheid systems that are in place. So when that email goes around, Mel, please make sure you uh, let us know so that we can plug it on the show and any support our listeners could give would be sincerely appreciated, I'm sure. Absolutely. That'd be great. Now, one final plug, fpmelbourne.org or the Free Palestine Melbourne Facebook page. So, Come along. It's Wednesday at 7.30. You'll hear from Hanan Ashawi, Dr. Yara Aharawi, and Meher Maghrabi. It's going to be fantastic. You'll get to see, I'm not sure, we'll, we'll just be in the audience, Rob and I, Mel. Are you going to be? That'll be enough. Are you going to be on the screen? I am the facilitator for the event, so hopefully you won't see too much of me because it's, it's not really about me, but I will be asking the questions. Well, we, we love allies like you, Mel, who understand uh, our job is to put the proper voices up front yeah. and we've got some fantastic Palestinian voices. So make sure you join Free Palestine Melbourne on Wednesday at 7.30. Go to their Facebook page, Free, pa uh, Free Palestine Melbourne or fpmelbourne.org. Thanks so much, Mel. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thanks for coming. See you on Wednesday. And make sure you go get the Sydney Morning Herald or The Age and check out the fantastic advert put together there by Ronda Abdel Fattah, Michaela Sahar and Sarah Saleh. Well done, ladies. And that ends another show for Palestine Remembered in Lockdown. Remember to tell your friends, share the podcast, and as always, free Palestine. See you Wednesday.